2: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. And everybody, episode Hall of the podcast. It is Sunday night, February 26th, 2024. maybe Monday morning, February 27th, 2024, but hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is having a great day, had a great weekend. I'll tell you this, March is literally right around the corner, and we got ourselves a busy, busy, busy show today. We are recording. We are going live here on YouTube on Sunday night. Should mention, I think this will kind of be the protocol going forward, live on YouTube every Sunday, podcast on Monday. So we got a lot to dive into obviously if you were by a computer or a phone or social media this weekend you know the big story of the weekend you you don't need me to tell you it was the court storming situation winston-salem north carolina duke wake forest kyle filipowski got lost in the masses what does it mean do we need to fix court storming is it even possible to get it fixed from there, we will go through the weekend that was in College Hoops. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Kentucky win over Alabama. We did an immediate reaction to that uh, on Saturday. Talk about UConn, Mr. Triple Double, Tristan Newton, some St. John's talk, my, my, my Johnny's Big Rick Energy, Rick Pitino had had a big win over the weekend. And I do have a little bit of a gripe with the net. Surprise, surprise, Torres is not in favor of an analytic. So we'll talk that and we will wrap. One football story from the weekend. How about this? We all freaked out when Chip Kelly left UCLA for Ohio State. Well, UCLA has replaced him as their offensive play caller. We know who their new head coach is, Eric Bieniemy, in at UCLA. So we got ourselves a busy... Busy, busy show tonight. So excited to get started. Before we get started, a couple quick reminders. One, we are live on YouTube, so if you have any questions, comments, uh, drop them in the chat. I will get to them at the end. Also, beyond that, I've said it a few times, but I want to remind you, we now have an awesome presenting sponsor for all of March Madness. That is BetUS Sportsbook, okay? BetUS is doing an incredible promo right now for all of you college heads. how about this your first three deposits they are matching 125 percent best deal going period end of story so basically you deposit uh a uh, hundred dollars on bet us by the way the link will be in the show description it is in the show description but deposit 100 they match it with 125 deposit another 100, 125. 3 deposits. They match up to 125% for or 125% for up to $2,000. Thank you to BetUS. We'll be doing awesome stuff with them all March Madness. So excited to be working with them. With that said though, it was a crazy weekend. It was a busy weekend. Frankly, we still got college hoops going on right now. So with that said, there is no more time to waste. Let's jump in and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let me say this. You know, we are in the heart of college basketball season because a couple things happen. We see more Joe Lenardi. He kind of comes out of that cocoon, Lenardi on TV every night. You get coaches mad, sad, angry, upset. But it wouldn't be a college basketball season if we didn't have a court storming controversy uh in this late February timeframe. Okay, it feels like it happens once or twice a year. Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets triggered. Everybody demands change. We realize there really is no change to be had. Uh, And then we just move on with our lives. And so I bring it up because the latest court storming controversy was this past weekend. I know everybody knows the details, but really quickly for people who are traveling, weren't around, the details are pretty straightforward. Duke traveled to Wake Forest. Wake Forest, obviously, it's a tobacco road rivalry. Wake Forest, frankly, needed the win. We'll talk about what the win meant for Wake Forest here in a little bit. But what why it was important, why it was significant, to Wake Forest credit, they did get the win. They get the win. They get the victory. But it was, of course, what happened after that that everybody wanted to talk about. The court is stormed. Wake Forest wins. Fans rush the court. And Kyle Filipowski, Duke's star player, gets engulfed. In all the fans, he ends up being okay, but it appears as though he has an ankle injury. And after the game, John Shire said it's time to, 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 to end court stormings. Kyle Filipowski sent out some tweets. Now it is worth noting. You find some alternate angles of the actual court storming. Some would say maybe Kyle Filipowski maybe initiated the contact. How much was he to blame? So of course it was an internet thing all day, Saturday into Sunday. Uh, But obviously, you know, Torres has a couple thoughts on it. And what I would say is there are really two different things to really talk about here. One, just I'll share my thoughts on court storming here momentarily. But two, and this is the question nobody's asking can anything actually be done to stop court storming? Because I think it's all good. Everybody on Twitter has opinion, everyone has this, everyone has that. I see everybody on ESPN yelling and screaming. But here's the bottom line Is there anything that can actually be done? Bluntly, I'm just not sure. Now, in terms of the first part, in terms of court stormings in general, let me say this. I know that you come to this show looking for, I don't want to say hot takes, but I do think you come here looking for strong opinions. How does Torres feel? Does he agree? Does he disagree? Whatever. And I'm here to say court stormings are something I don't have a super hot take on. I actually see both sides. I say it often on this show. Uh, there are two, not not only that there are two sides to every story, but more so, um, that there are two things in life that, that, that can at times seem to be differing opinions that can actually be both factually correct. And I believe that's my stance on court storming. Okay. My two definitive stances are this court storming obviously stinks when somebody gets hurt. I think we can all agree on that. Even if you're not a Duke fan, I know everybody loves to make fun of Duke, I know a few weeks ago we had a Caitlin Clark situation and I get it. The bottom line is nobody wants anybody to get hurt. I hope. And I think we can all agree on that. But then there is the other side to it, which is this court stormings are also awesome. They're really fun to watch on TV. They are what make college sports totally unique. By the way, college football, obviously we're talking about field stormings Um, and, and, and they're, they're actually really cool and really fun, and it sucks that there is no middle ground, that we can't acknowledge, um, you know, they're really awesome, but let's figure out a way to make sure that nobody gets hurt, and everybody, like everything else in this society right now, has to have the definitive opinion. You either love court stormings, screw Kyle Filipowski, screw Caitlin Clark, let any, you know, if they get hurt, they get hurt. Or it's the worst thing that's ever happened, and I saw a lot of that on social media on Saturday as well. Certainly saw it on ESPN, where you, you would have thought <laughs> you would have thought that you know somebody pulled a, a Tadia Harding, Nancy Kerrigan on Kyle Filipowski walked out there with a crowbar. That's not what happened at all. And I am just of the belief that personally, like I, I see both sides. They're really awesome. They're really fun. They're also really scary, and you don't want anybody to get hurt. And I say that by the way, as somebody who was kind of in the middle of my first court storming just this past season. I was at Arkansas about six, eight weeks ago when they beat Duke, ironically enough. The court was stormed, and I'm here to tell you it was one of the craziest, coolest atmospheres that I've ever been part of. So I get it. I get it's frustrating. I get it's a weird topic. And I'll also say I think that it's cool for college students. If you're a Wake Forest student that was part of that, I have no doubt that it will be one of the indelible memories of your time in college. But it's also just kind of like one of those deals of like, darn man, is there a better way to figure this out? And so to me, that's actually the more interesting conversation coming out of, out of Saturday, everybody on social media, everybody on ESPN, they want to yell and scream and they want to have the strongest opinion about how much they hate court stormings and why it's the worst thing in the world. Like I said, Listen to two or three of those ESPN personalities on Saturday night. You would have thought somebody walked out there with like Tanya Harding with a crowbar, okay? Or Tanya Harding's ex-husband or whoever actually did it. Whatever. But the bottom line is to me, I think it's the bigger question of like, is there actually a resolution or are we just going to yell and scream? Because I spent a lot of time thinking about it over the weekend. We talked about it on my Fox Sports radio show on Saturday night. And while everybody wants to yell and scream about why it's so terrible, I have yet to hear an actual real legitimate way that we can either stop this or do it safely. Not saying it's not out there. I'm just saying I think it's easier to yell and scream than actually come up with a tangible solution to figure things out. Let me let me explain a few reasons why. First off, any of us who have ever been to these games, like like let's be honest here. Like like the security on the field or on the court, it is not uh, Fort Knox, okay? Trying to get onto the court at Wake Forest or Tennessee or Yukon or Auburn or Kentucky or whatever. This ain't a military state secret, okay? I, I was thinking about this. I was at that Arkansas game. I mean, most of the people that are manning the court are volunteers. I don't know if they even get paid. Uh, maybe a little bit older, maybe retired, maybe looking for something to do. No disrespect, but it's like those aren't the real types of people that are going to stop a slew of 18 to 21-year-old kids from rushing the court. Beyond that, and I think this is important, I don't think there's any way there can be some sort of national oversight of this situation because everyone has different situations, different setups, and different resources. I know everybody wants to blame the NCAA for everything, but it's not like they can just say, okay, this is the rule. If you get caught on the court, this is the punishment, whether it's kicked out of the arena for good, arrested, whatever. You can't do that because everybody doesn't have the same ability to stop it. Tennessee as an SEC school, Ohio State as a Big Ten school, fill in the blank. They have uh, access to a lot more resources and availability than a lot of these smaller schools. And by the way, it's not just the big schools where the courts get rushed. Earlier this year, Florida Atlantic loses at Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast fans rush the court. I don't think Florida Gulf Coast has the money that Ohio State and Michigan and Tennessee and Georgia and Florida do to hire extra personnel. And so in theory, the only real answer, I don't think it can be national. I do think you can kind of have that SEC, you know, find the school if they can't keep people off the field or the court. But I think we've even learned that doesn't really work. I don't think, and listen, me and Jay Billis kind of went back and forth on a couple things on social media over the course of the weekend. But he said this on this particular topic, and I think he was right. I think he was right, wrong on some other stuff, which maybe we'll get to at the end of the show. But I think he was right on this. The SEC tried to put in a fining system. And guess what? Most of the schools are just like, we'll take the fine because this is awesome and it's fun and it's great for our fans and our students and we, you know, sell merchandise and and we 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 go viral and all that good stuff. And so even if you have a league-wide thing, again, different schools, different resources, different availability, is the same thing that's going to apply for North Carolina or Duke in the ACC is it going to apply for Boston College or Pitt? I don't know. And so, to me, I could go on and on. You've all seen the situation. You don't need me to tell you. Uh, and listen, I'll say this too: is is I know it's easy to make fun of it because it's Duke, and I did see a lot of the like, well, if you know, uh, it never became an issue until it was a Duke player. Like I get that, but also if it was your team, whatever fan you are, a, a UConn fan, a, I keep saying Tennessee for some reason, I'm not totally sure why. Like everyone's, it's easy to say, oh, it's because it's Duke. Well, it's like, no, if it, if it was your star player, you'd be pissed off too. I don't know what the answer is. You know, I heard people talk about, is there a way to kind of start a shot clock or something like that um, so the fans can join the the, the, the the players on the court? But I just don't think there's a great answer. And like I said, I think it's one of those situations that's much easier to talk about and complain about and whine about on social media than it is actually something
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the
2: Sunday night college sports. Not really college hoops specifically because we'll get to Eric bien in a second. But this is the Sunday night college uh, weekend recap. Uh, so we just talked court storming. Do want to go ahead. Do want to switch gears. And I do want to get to, oh my goodness some games and results from on the court over the course of this weekend. Cause I will say, listen, it is February 25th as I'm recording here, the 26th, by the time many of you listen to this. Um, I can't believe this week is already March. Like we have, we're already about to enter March two weeks left in the college hoops, regular season worth mentioning, by the way, we have a couple really cool things coming over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but, We're entering March. We're getting big results. The results matter. We're starting to figure out the bubble. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the big results from Saturday and Sunday in college hoops. The first one, it was a game that we broke down in detail on Friday's show. And I hate to brag because I told you, I said, look, I've been critical at times of Kentucky this year. I've also thought at times that they've gotten too much criticism, but I bring it up because on Friday's show, I said that I believed that Kentucky was going to take care of Alabama on Saturday at Rupp Arena. Well, they did. They beat the SEC leading Alabama Crimson Tide. But let me also say this. I can't really take credit for what I said on Saturday's show because I did not see what is what, what happened over the course of this weekend as how about this. It wasn't just that Kentucky won. It was the manner in which Kentucky won as did you see the final score? And did you see how this game went down? Final score in Lexington. How about this? Kentucky wins 117 to 95. And bluntly, if we're going to be fair and honest, it really wasn't that close. Kentucky was up by as much as 33 points in the second half. Before Kentucky went ahead, uh, before Alabama made a little bit of a run, Kentucky got in some backups and Kentucky ends up winning by whatever that is. 17 plus five is 22, 22 point win for Kentucky. So let's go ahead and dive in. Listen, I I think my single biggest takeaway, let's go overarching and then we'll go small picture first. This game kind of went down the way that it did for the reasons that we discussed on Saturday, on, on Friday's show. One, Listen, this is not to take away from Kentucky at all. I promise Kentucky fans, I'm not taking away from what your team accomplished on Saturday. I also do think Nate Oates is kind of overachieving with this team. And what I said on Saturday, again, not to take away from what Kentucky did, I said, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that he has overachieved. But in this game specifically, I think it's a bad matchup for Alabama. The bottom line is Alabama wants to play fast, they want to shoot a lot of threes, they want to get out in transition. And oh, by the way, what I said was Advantage Kentucky was they like to crash the boards with all five guys. Well, guess what? When you have five guys going to the rim, guess what that means? It means that there are going to be transition opportunities and there is not a better transition team in college basketball than Kentucky, period. And so for me, it just felt like the right matchup. It was, and we saw what Kentucky was capable of. Now, I think what we also saw in this game is that I still think, as crazy as it sounds, because it is now approaching February, there are new levels for Kentucky to go to, specifically if their star freshman, Justin Edwards, who was phenomenal in this game, plays this way the rest of the year. Now, he's not going to play as well as he did on Saturday. Finished with 28 points, 10 of 10 shooting from the field, 4 of 4 shooting from 3. But for people who don't follow college hoops, this guy was a top 10 prospect, coming out of high school, top five prospect. Many believed he was like potentially the number one pick in the draft in the NBA. And he's been struggling all year. Calipari, to his credit, has kept saying, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And to his credit, they largely did on Saturday. And Justin Edwards played his best game. Now, are you going to get 28 points from him every single game on 10 of 10, shooting four, four from three? Of course you're not. But if you can get some version of that guy, I do think it takes this team to another level, and I do think it allows them to get creative with how they play and who they play and all that good stuff. Now, what I will also say, I think this win was important for Kentucky, not just because Alabama's this, that, the other thing. I think it's important because it confirmed what we talked about. By the way, really quickly, before we get to to, to Kentucky as a whole, I do want to credit Calipari for the Justin Edwards thing, because Calipari, everything he does, he gets crapped on, he gets you know, whatever, you, 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 know, what happens to John Calipari when things go bad. But what I will say, I don't think there's anyone better in college hoops of when you have a high upside guy, you just ride him and ride him and believe in him and believe in him. And basically say to the kid, look, we are going to rock with you no matter what. We don't care if you're struggling. We believe in you because John Calipari knows he knows, listen, and he said this since 2009, when he took this job. I will bet on upside. I believe that that talent trumps all. And so what Calipari says is, I don't care if you're struggling in November and December and January and February. What matters is, can I get you ready for March? And I've seen him do this a million times. I said this in the Saturday reaction clip on YouTube. I said, the guy that I remember this with is Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero, people forget because, oh, he was so great at, in the tournament and in the SEC tournament. The first like five, six, seven weeks of that season, Tyler Hero was terrible. And there was a call like you cannot play this kid. You have to go with somebody else whoever was on the roster at that time. And Calipari just kept putting him out there, kept putting him out there, kept putting him out there, and about mid-January, early February, the light bulb went off and Tyler Hero turned into one of the best players in college basketball. Not saying that's going to happen with Justin Edwards, but do think it is important for Kentucky that they get that guy on track. In the bigger picture, I'll say about Kentucky what I said after both the LSU loss and in the preview on uh, on Friday's show. I still believe in this team, and I actually think the LSU loss was kind of important because what I truly believe is that this was a team that coming off the Auburn win last weekend, I think they were starting to feel themselves. I think they were starting to sit there and say, like, you know what? We could just walk into any building, anytime, anywhere, and win. And I think that LSU game kind of straightened them out. Bottom line is, is that, listen, I'm not excusing the loss, but that was a game that they were in complete control of. Final four, first half, uh, first four minutes of the second half. Remember, they went on a 16-0 run. Remember, they had a double-digit lead, and they let their foot off the gas. And what we said that night, but what we also said on Friday's show, that was the ultimate trap game. You beat Auburn at Auburn, you're feeling good. You got Alabama coming to town this coming Saturday, which was obviously yesterday or Saturday as you're listening. And that LSU game was kind of that trap middle game. And so you don't want to make excuses for this team, but you also look at the opposite and you sit there and say, well, wait a second now. This team, yes, they are what, 19 and eight right now, but LSU, they lost at the buzzer. They got the defensive stop. The ball gets tipped to the right guy right by the basket, gets put in. Otherwise they win that game. Florida, if they foul up three with like five seconds left, they win that game. So all of a sudden, you're you're talking about a team that really isn't that far off from having two, three, four more wins, and then it's not Panic City for the Wildcats. And so for me, the big story with them, I believe, is putting together full 40-minute efforts. Can you play well and play hard for a full 40 minutes? Can you come out, take a lead, not take your foot off the gas, and keep going? I think they can. I think they're actually in very good shape. And I think they're kind of dangerous going forward. It's not just because they beat Alabama. I mean, listen, two of the last three weeks, they've beaten top 10 teams at Auburn, Alabama at home. They beat North Carolina in the out-of-conference. So I'm not going to sit here and say they could beat anybody. But who can't they beat? Like, who who are you really terrified of if you're a Kentucky fan? Maybe UConn, maybe Purdue, maybe Houston, who we'll talk about in a minute. But you beat Carolina. Carolina's going to be a number one seed. Tennessee, you had on the ropes, and you get another shot at them in a few weeks. They're going to be a one or a two seed. Alabama's going to be a three seed. You just beat them. Auburn's going to be a three four seed. You just beat them. So I think there's a lot of optimism, a lot of upside. I think they figured it out. Now Mississippi State on the road Saturday—that's the big one. You have to come out ready to play in that game, and I think they will. Really quickly, one more thing before we move on. Thought this was interesting. This tweet actually went very viral uh, on Saturday when I put it out there. But if you remember on this show 2 weeks ago we talked a lot about the idea of Kentucky losing a third straight game at home because 2 weeks ago they had lost that Gonzaga game which was the third straight home loss they lost to Florida, Tennessee and then Gonzaga. On that show, remember that Monday show, I did the list of if I was, you know, if 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 Calipari somehow isn't back after this year, who would potentially be the candidates at Kentucky. Well, I bring it up Because in the last, I bring it up because three of the most popular names on that list. There was a lot of names, Billy Donovan, Jay Wright, can you get Dan Hurley? No, you can't, Kentucky fans, but that's neither here nor there. But three of the more popular names, Chris Beard, Bruce Pearl, Nate Oates. I bring it up because since I did that segment, John Calipari has beaten Chris Beard, Bruce Pearl, and Nate Oates, proving once again, he's not perfect. I'm not saying he is, but at the same time, not as easy to win games in this league as you think. Really quickly, let's get to some other results from Saturday. You know, listen, I, I want to spend just a minute on Houston taking care of uh, taking care of Baylor on the road. This game went to overtime. Houston actually th- hit what we thought was a buzzer beater. It was not. They dominated early up 41 to 25. Baylor makes their run. Jamal Shedd hits what we think is a buzzer beater. It isn't but Houston holds on to win 82-76 to in overtime. And I bring it up because of this very simple thing. It is that, like, listen, first of all, I I think Houston, we spent all this time, and I include myself, so I'm guilty of this as well, but we spent all this time talking about UConn versus Purdue. Purdue versus UConn. Who's actually better? Who's not better? All that good stuff. I think Houston's probably in the conversation. They are probably closer to those top two if you believe they're the top two than they are to like the North Carolina Duke type teams at seven, eight, you know, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. But two, I also think we're like kind of underselling what Houston is doing right now. Like I I don't, I think we need to spend more time giving more credit to the Houston Cougars for what they have done this season. Because the bottom line, remember, they were in the AAC as of this time last year. And what was the story every year when they were in the AAC? Well, they're really good. They're really good. But what would happen if they actually went to a real league and had to play real competition and all that good stuff? Okay. Well, we have our answer as they are running away with the big 12 right now. Okay. So in this, with this win, uh, Houston improves to 24 and three and 11 and three in the big 12. That is insane. If you really think about it, 24-3, and and 11-3 in the Big 12. And nobody's talking about it. We all are just like, oh, they're Houston. They're good. They'll figure it out. It's like, no, they are, I don't want to say destroying everybody, but they are in control of this league. They have a one-game lead over Iowa State. It's worth noting, two of their three-league losses came in their first three-league games. So they beat West Virginia at home. Then they lose at TCU, at Iowa State. They fall to one and two. And you say, oh, my goodness. Big 12, I don't know how they're going to handle themselves. Well, since then, their only loss has been at Kansas. They've beaten everybody else, beat Iowa State, uh, beat Baylor at Baylor, beat Cincinnati at Cincinnati. I I just don't think we are giving this team enough credit. And there will be a time to, to discuss, you know, national championship, who's this, who's that, how good are they, how good are they not, all that good stuff. But I don't think we are spending enough time giving this team the credit they deserve. Credit to the Houston Cougars. You know, Torres loves those Cougars, baby. Love those Cougars. But credit to the Houston Cougars as they get the win at Baylor. And again, I don't think we are giving them enough credit. couple other results from the weekend. First of all, heck of a bounce back for my UConn Huskies. Okay, so UConn, obviously, the last time we saw them, they lost at Creighton on Tuesday. Boy, oh boy, you talk about the new cycle from that point on. We had the Dan Hurley, um, you know, there was confusion as to was he yelling at fans? Were was a fan trying to jump over and he was telling them about security? Like there was a lot of confusion as to what happened. But then he puts out the Game of Thrones tweet. Then they have Game Day. Well, credit to UConn as they destroyed Villanova at home on Saturday night um, in that game, in a game that was it was close for the first half. And then it ended up ended up being one-sided. They win 78 to 54. Couple things here. First off, let me say this been very critical of ESPN, this this show, because I thought a lot of the fake outrage about the the court storming. Also, like I said, kind of went back and forth with Jay Billis a little bit on Twitter on, on Saturday, but that's neither here nor there. But I bring it up because credit to ESPN for going to UConn. UConn is one of the two or three best teams in the country. They deserve that stage. By the way, the campus is about 40 minutes from Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is. But because ESPN wasn't broadcasting that game, they didn't have to go. Now, I know in football, all the time, uh, ESPN will go to games they're not broadcasting, Big Ten games, whatever, packed, whatever, doesn't matter. But it's not often that they go in basketball to a game that they don't have rights to, but that's exactly what they did on Saturday. So credit to them, but then credit to the Huskies for coming out and kicking you-know-what. Story here, Tristan Newton, fifth-year senior. I'll say this, he's one of my favorite Huskies of all time. So cool, under control, this and that. How about this? 10 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists. He, that was his fourth career triple-double for Tristan Newton. Fourth career triple-double for Tristan Newton. I believe I should know my UConn history better than this. I don't think anyone else in UConn history has ever had more than one. So you think about all the great players that have played at UConn. Kemble Walker, Shabazz Napier, Karan Butler, Emeka Okafor, uh, ray allen rip hamilton who by the way had his jersey retired on saturday night i think none of them have had more than one triple double tristan Newton has four credit to him cam spencer 25 points in the victory and it's worth noting we're actually recording here during the marquette game it looks like marquette is going to beat xavier on sunday night they are up by 20 with 13 minutes to go so yukon will have a two-game lead with four to go. They actually play at Marquette in the final week of the season. So if UConn wins its next two games, they have, or excuse me, they only play one game this week. So they play uh, Seton Hall a week from now on, on March 3rd. And then they obviously could clinch a share. They would actually win the, the league outright with a win at Marquette uh, on March 6th. But they got the victory. Credit to them. Uh, great win for the Huskies. By the way, one other Big East result, and I do have a little net thing, and then I want to wrap and, and get to the Eric Bienemy stuff and all that. But why I bring it up, first of all, there was another Big East result of note. Um, same team that UConn lost to on Tuesday night, the Creighton Blue Jays. They went to St. John's on Sunday. St. John's beat them up pretty good. Final score in this one. Let's see what the final score was. St. John's wins eighty. 80- 266, and what I would say is a couple things. One, not surprising that, of course, a day after or a game after you beat the number one team in the country, there is a letdown, but can we also take a moment, can we give some credit to our buddy, Rick Patino, Big Rick Energy, by the way, if you're a St. John's fan watching, link in the show description, get your t-shirt, Aaron Torres online, Big Rick Energy, but listen, last week, it was around this time, there was so much outrage, how could Rick Pitino? He called his players slow. He called about athletic. He called Brady Dunlap weak. Oh my goodness, he saw it a touch. He'll never get it right in this modern era. As it turns out, I think the Hall of Famer, who I don't even know how many wins he has right now. I mean, listen, he's left college basketball for five or six years to coach in the NBA between the Knicks and the Celtics. Had a bunch of games vacated at Louisville. Who cares? Guy's a freaking Hall of Famer. Guy's one of the best to ever do it. If he's calling you slow and unathletic, bluntly, it's probably because you're slow and unathletic. But beyond that, what I would also say is this, and I think it's important, is he clearly knows what buttons to push with what players at what times. And so credit to Rick Patino, credit to St. John's, their second straight win. I'm not going to oversell it. They are still on the wrong side of the bubble, but this was a game they absolutely needed. They won at Georgetown the other day. They take care of Creighton. And I'll say this, they have a very manageable final three at Butler, at DePaul, Georgetown at home. If they can get those three wins, if they go into the Big East tournament at 19 and 12 overall, I think they'd be in really good shape to get into the tournament. This was the one that really helped their resume credit to them. Really quickly, one more College Hoops thing before we get to Eric Biennemi. And I had this thought on on Saturday, and by the way, as always, and I know I've said it, but make sure to drop your comments. We'll get to some of your comments at the end of the show. Um, but really quickly, let me say this. I had this thought, and, and it's been percolating, and I've seen some people in the media say this, but for anybody who's kind of a, a listener of this show, I think most everybody kind of knows where I stand on analytics. I'm not anti-analytics. Okay, A lot of people think, oh, if you, if you don't trust the numbers, you're an idiot. Ken Pomeroy is god if you don't believe everything he says you don't know hoop it's like nah i think there's a middle ground and that's always been my stance on um that's always been my stance on analytics is that i believe they are an important tool that helps tell a story but listen there's a reason moneyball it was a great story how many uh world series did the oakland a's win thanks to moneyball last time i checked zero and they stink right now and so i bring it up Because analytics are a great tool. They are a big tool to help figure stuff out. And in the case of the NCAA tournament, I believe that they are an important tool to help kind of figure out how we should rank all these teams, right? What wins matter? What wins don't? What wins this? What wins that? How high should this team be seed wise with this win? Who's on the bubble? Who's off the bubble, et cetera. So we have this net ranking, but I bring it up because of this. I have noticed over it's really this year is when it stands out and it's been getting this way I think this is about the fourth or fifth year of the net um, but I have been noticing that at some point and it feels like this year is kind of the tipping point of it we have gone from using the net what did I just say as a tool to help figure uh, help thing help figure things out whether it's seating whether it's bubble whether it's whatever to now the net has become the be all end all It's the only thing that matters. And so I want to go on a little bit of a rant because it is frustrating. And at the end of the day, when it's the NCAA tournament, I think there's two things that matter. Put together the most balanced fair bracket possible. And then when it comes to the bubble, there are 36 at-large spots. Put the 36 best non-power conference champions in there. Why do I bring it up? One, it's there, there were two games that I think really stood out to me as kind of. The eye test of this team is clearly one of the 36 best at-large candidates versus what the net is saying. The first one, Wake Forest. So Wake Forest, as we just talked about, there was a court storming. You may have heard probably about 10 minutes ago when I was talking about it. But I bring it up because Wake Forest won, and with the win, they're probably on the right side of the bubble right now. Like If the tournament started today or if the bracket came out today, chances are probably pretty good that they are in the field of 68, okay? But I bring it up because if you actually watch them, they have Hunter Salas, who's an NBA player. Um, Wake Forest is clearly one of the 36 best teams if they were not to win the ACC. Steve Forbes, their coach, obviously said it after the game. John Shire said it after the game. I think anybody who watches college basketball kind of understands that. And so it's like, if they take a bad loss, but they beat everybody, like, it shouldn't matter. They, something like, like, I understand the eye test isn't a be-all, end-all. But it also shouldn't mean nothing either and if you watch Wake Forest there is no doubt that they are one of the 36 best teams I'll give you an even better example and I'm going I'm trending a little bit right now on South Florida Twitter you know South Florida the Bulls have you heard of them probably not I haven't thought much about USF in a minute so South Florida is one of the best stories in college hoops okay so they they have a first year head coach uh, Amir Abdul Rahim he came from Kennesaw State led them to the NCAA tournament last year This is his first year at South Florida. Well, his team started two and four to begin the season. Okay, whatever. Who cares? Why does this matter, Torres? Why are you talking about it? Well, it's because on Saturday, they won their 19th game in 20 opportunities. So after starting two and four, they are now 19 And won in their last 20 games, and they clinched a share of the AAC title when Memphis beat Florida Atlantic. So Florida Atlantic went to the Final Four, blah, 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 you know that. South Florida clinched a share of the regular season title. They are 21-5. and They have, as I said, have won 19 of their last 20 games. And I bring it up because if you look at bracketology, they are not anywhere near the bubble. And they are still being held based on the net. What did I say? The net should be a tool. It should not be the be-all end-all. Well, why do I bring it up? The net doesn't love them because early in the year, they lost to Central Michigan. They lost to Maine. They lost to Hofstra. And they lost to UMass. Now, I'm not saying that losses shouldn't matter. But I think what we should be focusing on is putting together the best field possible. And again, I understand that losses matter. I understand also that it can't only be about what you're doing now. There used to be a metric in the NCAA tournament selection that was, what was your last 10 games? In other words, how are you playing right now? And then what everyone agreed on was, well, it's unfair. You're telling us to schedule tough in the preseason or in the out-of-conference. And if we kill it in the out-of-conference, it shouldn't be held against us if we struggle in league play. So they've taken out the last 10 and I get it. But I also just think there has to be a better way to figure out who are the, uh, you know, 36 best at large teams, then just going by a spreadsheet, because if you watch this team, I know I've said it 20 of their last or 19 of their last 20, they've won. This is a team that just beat Florida Atlantic a few weeks ago. They beat Memphis at Memphis. They beat a surging, uh, SMU team at home on Saturday on Sunday. Excuse me. I think they deserve some credit. And if the tournament started today, they should be in. And by the way, the counter to that, of course is that the bubble is a mess otherwise. like I think that's, I guess, the the, the broader point, is it's frustrating because if you look at the teams that are on the bubble, so I'll just give you an example. Going into Sunday, Texas A&M, who can't beat anybody right now. They got swept by Arkansas earlier this week. They're still in the tournament picture. Virginia, you know Virginia hasn't broken 50 points in the last three games. They're still on the bubble. You can't tell me that South Florida is playing better than these teams. And so I just bring it up to solely say, I think we need to reevaluate the Nets importance in the NCAA tournament selection process, not saying we shouldn't have metrics, but I do think that we should make sure that we're taking the best 68 teams that we possibly can, all of the conference champions, but then also the 36 best at large teams.
0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right, there is one more topic that I do want to get to before we get out of here. It is a football topic. By the way, I know I've said it, but we do we will take some questions and answers at the end, so drop your questions in producer Matt is paying attention. But I do want to wrap with one topic Before we get out of here from the football side of things. And it comes from a school. I'm not going to lie. If you had told me in say November or December. That we're going to spend a disproportional amount of time in February. Talking about UCLA football. I would have told you either you were crazy. Or uh, a meteor hit the Rose Bowl. Which would have been unfortunate. Because I don't live very far from the Rose Bowl. But how about UCLA? So about three weeks ago, was it Chip Kelly ends up leaving UCLA as its head coach? And at the time, it makes waves. People are talking about it. It's the biggest story in college football. How could a sitting head coach leave to be an offensive coordinator? And imagine if I had told you that day that the guy who would replace Chip Kelly as the play caller at UCLA might actually be a bigger name than Chip Kelly. Only that's exactly what happened on Saturday, as we found out, of reported first by ESPN. I think it was a Schefter Thamel NFL college double dip. But that Eric enemy yes, that Eric Biennami of Super Bowl fame with the Kansas City Chiefs, is set to take over as the UCLA offensive coordinator. Of course, he spent last season with the Washington Commanders. And so I want to dive in. I think it's fascinating. I always say this, I don't care if it's good, bad, and different, I just like interesting things. I think there's no doubt that this is a very interesting topic, and I think there's really two ways to look at it. There's the UCLA angle of things, but there's also the Eric Bieniemy angle of things, and I think both are very interesting. So let's start with the UCLA side of things, and listen, this is a home run hire, right? Because Eric Bieniemy, listen, for whatever happened in Washington, which I don't really blame him for, this guy... A year ago, we all agreed was one of the best offensive minds in all of football. He's with Kansas City. The Chiefs are putting up a million points. They they win a Super Bowl last year. And I get it. He went to Washington, bet on himself. He knew Andy Reid wasn't retiring. He knew he wasn't going to get credit. But this was a guy that as of a year ago, people thought should be an NFL head coach. And so you get him as your offensive coordinator and play caller at UCLA. It's a home run. It's especially a home run for, for two very distinct reasons. One, I don't know that there was that much buzz about UCLA football uh, with the hire of Deshaun Foster. Now, it's not Deshaun Foster's fault. I'm not blaming him. It has nothing, you know, he can't control that Chip Kelly decided to leave. But I bring it up because when you look at the whole situation at UCLA, there just wasn't a lot of excitement or buzz um, about this hire. And I think, listen, I'll credit UCLA fans. I think they understand that because of when Chip Kelly leaves, Deshaun Foster's an alum. I live in L.A., and it feels like UCLA fans were, want to give Deshaun Foster the benefit of the doubt. And so you have that situation. He comes in. But now you kind of got your thing, right? Like the Big Ten, everybody like, like everybody's kind of got a brand. Even Forget Ohio State and, and Penn State. Like USC has Lincoln Riley. Dan Lanning has things rocking at Oregon. Nebraska has Matt Rule. Wisconsin has Luke Fickle. And so for UCLA, you might not have the star head coach, but you got yourselves a heck of an offensive coordinator. Beyond that, and I think this is important, it does kind of brand UCLA, right? And I thought this was interesting, was that Eric Bien-Ami in a in an uh, uh, an email to ESPN, he said something about, uh, he said something about, you know, we want to be like an NFL program. In other words, like, you know, we're going to run this like an NFL operation. Might have actually been to Sean Foster that said that. But it's clear what the angle is going to be. This is LA. This is Showtime. This is Hollywood. Listen, Lincoln Riley has that, that little offense that he brought from Oklahoma. We, we're going to run this like an NFL program. Deshaun Foster played in the NFL. It's worth noting that he left UCLA to go be an assistant in the NFL, so he had at least a taste of being an NFL assistant coach. And now you're bringing in Eric Bieniemy, who's obviously going to run a pro-style system at UCLA. Will it work? We'll find out. Will it not? We'll find out. But I don't hate the fact that this is your brand and you are defining it. Now that is the UCLA side of things. What I do think is much 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 more interesting is the Eric Bieniemy side of things. Because we could sit here and say this is a home run, this is a grand slam for UCLA. But for Eric Bieniemy, I'll be honest, you kind of feel bad for the guy. Again, this was a guy that a year ago was interviewing for NFL head coaching jobs. A year ago, he was one of the biggest names available to get. Now, why ever he didn't get a job, that's another conversation for another day. But he didn't. He bet on himself and he went to Washington and it didn't go well. And really, when I think about Eric Biennemi, I think there's two things that really stand out from my perspective. The first one, let me say this. I kind of think Washington kind of screwed him. Now, we don't talk a ton of NFL on this show, but I obviously watch it and consume it and understand it and talk about it and whatever. And I bring it up. Because my thought on on, on the Eric Bieniemy Washington situation is pretty straightforward. I understand that in life, nobody is guaranteed anything, nobody is owed anything. But I thought Washington could have kind of done him a solid a year ago when it was clear that Ron Rivera was not going to be the long term head coach. Washington started out four and five, then they lost eight straight to end the season. At some point, it was obvious Ron Rivera was not going to be back this year and next year, and it's like. Why didn't you fire Ron Rivera and give Eric bien a shot? One, he took a chance on you. He didn't have to come there. He could have stayed in KC. He could have been in the same position that he was. But he wanted to prove himself. He bet on himself, but he bet on you guys too. And honestly, this is something that probably should have gone on in conversations behind the scenes. I know you're not taking a job assuming a guy's going to get fired because why did he take it in the first place? But it's like, I, I do feel like Washington could have done him a solid. Was there no way that they couldn't have given him the opportunity to be the interim head coach the final five, six games? One, just be great experience for him. Um, You give him the opportunity that he's been waiting for. You let him show whether he's good enough or not. Now, it wouldn't have been a perfect situation because obviously Sam Howell, that, that situation wasn't ideal for success. But I think you could have done him the solid. And here's the other thing. What if he actually ended up being pretty good? Which I think he could have been. Think about what happened with the Raiders and Antonio Pierce. The Raiders fired Josh McDaniels because he's toxic. They're like, Let me, let's bring in Antonio Pierce. Let's give him a shot. He ends up being so good that he gets the job. Beats the Chiefs on Christmas Day. Has success down the stretch. Keeps them in the division race and the playoff race. And now he's the Las Vegas Raiders head coach. I almost said Oklahoma, uh, Oak, Oakland Raiders head coach. But the Las Vegas Raiders head coach. And so... Look how well it worked out for the Raiders. And it could have been the same with Washington, or at the very least, you could have given him a chance. Give him five, six weeks, end of the year, and then he at least has that on his resume. He has his shot. You have a shot to evaluate him. I think that's only fair. I'll also say, and again, I feel bad for Eric bien I think this shows the other side of betting on yourself, right? Like, it's so cool to go on social media and talk about, oh, you know, I'm betting on myself. You know, an Instagram meme. Believe in yourself when nobody else will. I think that's important. Um, I wouldn't be where I am if I had not bet on myself five, six, seven times throughout my life at various points, moving to California when I was living in Connecticut, um, you know, leaving some opportunities to kind of branch out on my own. So I'm not saying be afraid, never take a chance, but not everything ends up like an Instagram meme. Not everything is you bet on yourself. You become a billionaire. You bet on yourself, you quit school and you start the app that saves the world. Like, That's all we ever hear about, but there are a lot of other people that bet on themselves and for whatever reason, it doesn't work. And it's clear that's what happened with Eric bien He bet on himself. He wanted to see, can I make my name outside of the Andy Reid tree? It didn't work out. Now he's at UCLA. The good news, I will say, for Eric bien the good news is that if they do have success, (laughs) if UCLA um, is able to have a potent explosive offense, I'll say this, Eric B is going to get hundred percent of the credit for it. Sean Foster, young head coach has never been a play caller. This is Eric B offense. He has total control, complete control. Now it's time to get to work. Cause I, I don't really know how much is left in that building, but what a wild football story really quickly before we get out of here. Um, producer Matt, do we have any interesting questions that have popped up? I saw the live chat was bumping earlier in the show. Um, Dion says, "Been court storming for 60 years now. We got to baby proof the place." I'm with you. Like, like, listen. Just because, first of all, it's incredible that we've had hundreds of court stormings through the years. The star player or the players on the home team, they always have a great time. It's only, it's always a situation with the teams on the road. Like, it's always, And and by the way, I heard Kyle Filipowski say, like, I I felt like I was being targeted. I'm sorry, buddy. You're six foot ten. You're like 260 pounds. Nobody's coming after you at all. Like nobody's coming after you. Nobody's trying to start a fight with you. If they are, knock them out. Whatever. So it's like this idea that like, oh my goodness, like we have to end court storming because one guy twisted an ankle. I'm sorry, I don't see it. Anything else? Gotta get some water here. By the way, as we're live on YouTube, gotta get some water. I've been talking for 45 minutes straight. Any other questions before we get out of here? Any other questions? Aaron, best in the biz. Atman Woodsman says, best in the biz. Listen, I'm not going to fight with you. Um, Atman says, Torres, pretty good at the live streaming thing. This is all live, people. Notes, prepared. Yes, maybe a little bit, but not all that much. By the way, we got some big things coming up over the next probably six or so weeks. So make sure you're locked in on YouTube and the Aaron Torres pod feed. Uh, Let's go before we get over here. Flip, Flip over exaggerated. That is Kyle Filipowski. I agree. By the way. I'm not getting into because anytime you say anything negative about Duke, it's like, oh, you're just a Duke hater. You want to see Duke fail. It's like, no. But depending on what video you look at, kind of looks like he may have stuck his foot out. Maybe like a little Grayson Allen type situation. And it also, if you look close enough, there's there's a video of him shoving. Sore losers. Dion, I agree with you. Dion says, uh, you know, Duke's being a little bit of a sore loser. I agree. You know, Duke's never going to have a court storming on their home court but it doesn't mean that other people can't have fun. By the way, again, I was at the Arkansas game when the court was stormed. Wasn't that big of a deal. Nobody really freaked out. Was at John Shire's press conference. Don't remember him yelling and screaming about how awful it was back then. Uh, I think it's a little bit weak. A couple more questions before we get out of here. Sunday night, if you're listening on Monday, I appreciate your support as well. Uh, Time was still on the clock during the court storm. That was the weird part about it. And that, that was the part like, and I remember I was talking to a buddy of mine at Fox Sports Radio, VJ Husky, who's a Carolina fan, and he said this, and I and I think it was important, is we were talking about how like Roy Williams back in the day, if he knew a court storm was coming, he used to just pull his starters off the court. He'd basically send his walk-ons to the corner, and, and as soon as uh, the starters would go to the locker room, and I remember like 10, years, 12 years ago, it was like a big controversy of like it's poor sportsmanship, he's sending his guys to the locker room. Um that was the one that that was what made this whole situation tough was basically the game was over but it wasn't officially over. Crazy 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 situation. Court storming is good for the game. Pop says court storming is good for the game. I agree. I will tell you. I was at the Arkansas court storming for Duke. It was one of the coolest things that I have ever seen in person. I got videos on my phone, tweet them out here and there. It was an awesome experience. And if you've been part of it, it's cool. It's fun. It's part of being in college. Be responsible. I'll also say this. You put your hands on somebody, somebody puts their hands back. I don't know what else there is to say. Any last things before we get out of here? I think we'll probably just about wrap on this. Um, I think it's a beta move, says Brad. Wake Forest beating Duke wasn't enough of an upset. So basically, Brad is saying it's a beta move to storm the court for Wake Forest. I don't know that I agree. Like I said, I think it has unofficially clinched an NCAA tournament bid. For Wake Forest, I think you're allowed to get excited. I think you're allowed to have fun. They're a rival. Wake Forest, how about this? They haven't made the tournament in seven years. um, And the year they made it, they were in the first four, the the, the play-in games. So you look at Wake Forest, it's been a minute since they've had a a, a signature basketball moment. Let's take a look here. Last time that Wake Forest was in the NCAA tournament was 2017. Before then, it was 2010. They've won one NCAA tournament game since 2005. So we're talking basically 20 years, one NCAA tournament win. Let Wake Forest fans have their moment. Tell you what, I, I think that's probably it here for a Sunday night. A couple things, by the way. I think going forward, these Sunday nights, we're going to broadcast live like we're doing right now. Goal, keep this thing going. We'll build up in the lead up to football season all spring, all summer long. And then, of course, by football, we'll be rocking and rolling ready to go. Uh, Also, make sure uh, to be subscribed to YouTube because we'll probably go live probably Tuesday, Wednesday night of this week. We'll see what the schedule looks like. I think definitely Tuesday night we'll probably go live after College Hoops, but we're doing more and more of this live stuff. Appreciate everybody's support uh, of what we're doing. If you're not subscribed to YouTube, please make sure to do so. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres pod, make sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe again. We will go live every Sunday going forward, just like we have on Thursday. Uh, Also, if you're listening on podcasts, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions up for the show, thank you to our partners, bet us again, bet us, 125% deposit match for your first three deposits up to $2,000. Thank you to bet us link is in the show description on both YouTube and podcast. Time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. Uh, And I will be back sometime on Wednesday. Busy Wednesday show. Probably at that point, we'll start looking at the bubble and some stuff that has happened in College Hoops. since. Oh, I take that back. We're going to have a special Monday night YouTube slash Tuesday pod. Very special guest, so pay attention for that. Time for me to go. Time for me to get out of here, though. Appreciate everybody's support, but I'm heading out. Shout out to Dorncrank. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you Unblock Me, bro. I'll be back Monday night. Stay tuned, something good. New full episode of the Aaron Torres Pod.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.